Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Welcome again to Church Online. Good to have you. And uh, we're looking forward to continuing these online services, uh, whether we're meeting in person or not. And uh, so we're committed to uh, building our online congregation and delivering this on-demand content for you. So it's really good to have you as part of that. And one of the reasons why we're doing this is that we want this space, the space that you're in now, to lean into a missional space. And when I say that, I mean it's, it's an opportunity for you to have people in your house or together with you there that perhaps wouldn't normally feel comfortable in the church space meeting with a couple of hundred people. This is a place and a way for you to share with others, to have open conversation, to dig deeper with the content, to stay in that reflective mode. But we really do wish that it would become something that you use as a catalyst to bring others, to multiply, to be missional about what we're doing, to be incarnate about bringing Christ into the space where you dwell and those that you love dwell as well. And so we're going to be uh, delivering a slightly shorter message, a more precise message here than what we might do uh, at church on a Sunday in the building. Because what happens in that building is a non-downloadable uh, event. It's, you can't replicate through a camera in a, on a computer screen or a mobile device. You can't replicate what's happening in person at a church service. We do things differently there. There's interaction with the crowd. There's, um, we're inviting God's presence to come. We're praying for people there. And so that's a, that's a non-downloadable experience. And yet where you are, what you're watching right now is unique and offers its own unique benefits. So we want to play into that space and maximize that and also maximize what we do in person on Sunday. So those two environments will be slightly different. We hope that as part of our online congregation, you would come along to our in-person gatherings as well. Or if you are remote and you can't do that, that you'd really regard yourself as part of our church, part of Kenmore Church, part of our online congregation, that you'd contribute in some way, uh, whether it be financially or through support in other ways, and just contact us and register online through a Connect Card process that's at our website at kenmore.church and become part of our church and feel like you belong with us. We'd love to reach out and contact you uh, to follow up on that whole process as well. But as an online congregation, as part of our online service, it, it can often be a different demographic of people. It might be those who are curious about God. They haven't made a commitment uh, of faith to Jesus yet. Um, or they may be what I've called loosely de church those who are a little bit done with their local church and for whatever reason they're trying to process that whole um, what can be a very difficult season of life where you're either between churches or even gotten to the point through a crisis of belief of some form that this is just not working for you and you're, you're taking tentative or maybe slow steps back into church world. Well, we welcome you. We understand that journey. Most of us have been through that journey as well. Indeed, most of Kenmore Church is at our church because of that journey. And so we get it. We get complicated stories. We get disillusionment. And we're here for you to help bring life to you and reintroduce you to church life and to Jesus in some new and different ways. So today we're continuing our series and finishing it off really about next steps. What's next in our life? And now we're talking about the whole idea of multiplication and bearing fruit. And I'm very aware because for the first 40 odd years of my life when I wasn't uh, full time in the church world, there are some very real questions that go in, in, on the inside of people who turn up at church or try to do this life of religion that we talk about. And it's so often very different from what us pastors would like people to be thinking about. We, we think from a very different space. But when you're out in the world 
uh, and your, your day-to-day grind is going in through traffic, into an office, into a workshop, into a, uh, some form of environment that's nothing like the church world, that's non-Christian in its culture, there are different questions that you're asking. Things like, how do I actually live for God in the real world? How do I take this stuff out without feeling like I'm under this uh, unlivable burden of being a missionary in some form or having to uh, share my faith daily with everyone in the workplace? How do I be an effective Christian without being that weird person? Or, you know, how do I actually bear fruit in my life? I don't have much time. I don't have a lot of resources to give. So how do I do this in my very real, my very complex existence? Um, and most of us want to be used by God in our life, but how can he use me? So I want to attack on this online space, uh, life from that perspective. And it can't be seen any more clearer than from the Gospels themselves. And I want to talk into today, I want to talk into the story of Simon Peter as Jesus really brought him to deal with those questions as well. And I want to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, the calling of, of Simon and his brother Andrew. And it's very simple where it says, Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's a great verse, a simple verse. It's a verse talking to people like you and like me. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew were just normal workers. They were fishermen. They had their own small business that they were struggling to uh, produce income on a day-to-day basis. They had a bit of stock and a bit of equipment and they had their boats and they had to feed their families. And these two people, Simon and his brother Andrew, had been checking Jesus out for a while. They'd hedged their bets a little bit. Andrew particularly had gone and become a disciple of John the Baptist. He'd invited Simon to come down and check him out. Um, Simon wasn't too interested. John the Baptist looked a bit wild for him. And so, uh, and yet at the same moment he'd met Jesus. Uh, if you see a correlation of the time frames of how it worked out, there's a good chance they witnessed uh, Jesus turning the water into wine. But even after that, they hadn't yet committed themselves. And so in this scene, Jesus has come to visit them uh, in their workplace, so to speak. They're mending their nets. They just had a night out fishing. They'd caught nothing. Uh, and they were thinking about that. And then Jesus walks along in the shore, decides, this is where I'm going to preach my next sermon. And, uh, and to make a point of what he was saying and to, and to get particularly the attention and a, a defining moment in the life of Simon. He tells Simon to go out and and, uh, try fishing again, but casting a net's on the other side of the boat. Now, Simon knows how to fish. He knows what he's doing. And here's this carpenter telling him what to do. And there's so much about this whole scenario that is a message on its own. The significance of the fact that a carpenter tells a fisherman how to fish. That Jesus doesn't do the fishing for him. He says the message is loud and clear there. This life that I'm calling you to live, it's not a life where you're on your own, nor is it a life where I'm going to do it for you. It's a life where we do this together. And Simon goes out, casts his net obediently on the other side. He passed that first test of, of obedience. Will you do what I say when you don't understand where this is going? When you don't fully know who I am? Will you do what I say anyway? And Simon does that. He takes a risk. He says, as you say, I'll, I'll do that. Casts his net out, pulls in a huge catch, so big that he realizes I'm in the very presence of God here. I'm in the presence of the creator of the universe who at a flick of his fingers can tell fish to jump into my net. And the awareness in that moment of the reality of God struck him. And his, and his response there is, I'm a sinful man. Jesus, God, we need to keep our distance here. But then Jesus uh, says, no, the, your sinfulness is not the reason why you need to turn away. Your sinfulness is the reason why you need me. And he makes this great promise that we just saw in that passage there. Follow me, Peter, and I will make you to become 
a fisher of men. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to do something in your life that takes what you already know, that essence of who you already are. And you can reflect on this in your own life. You have a a business life, you have a marketplace life, you have a community, you have school, you have all these areas. And Jesus says, I'm not taking that away from you in this calling that I have upon your life. I want to turn that and convert that and redeem that into a missional experience where you take that and you bring me into that space and we bear fruit in the world. And he's saying, I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. And Simon and Andrew particularly, if you look at the context, uh, Jesus was obviously regarded as a rabbi by this stage and he's making a call, the disciples call, which was common in that day, to come and follow. He's saying, come and walk in my footsteps and I'm going to, you're going to become like me and you're going to become how I would be if I was you. And, uh, and he doesn't want to rob them of their personality or their history or their lifestyle, he, uh, totally in that sense. He wants them to be them, who they're made to be, but who Jesus would be if Jesus was them. An incredible call. The religious system had already discarded these guys. When they were young in the, uh, the days of the, the Hebrews, they would go through Torah school. And uh, if they didn't pass the first levels, which required a huge amount of memory of Scripture and so on, if they didn't pass that, they would say, go and take up the trade of your fathers. And so it was almost like, well, we flunked out of Torah school. So this was Simon. Uh, he was one of those guys. And now the rabbi was saying, hey, you qualify. You qualify because you said yes. You qualify because you can have faith in me. And that qualification is going to unlock a whole different destiny for your life. And this is the way Jesus works in our life. He presents us with a, uh, a decision of faith based on what we know of him, the obviousness that he is God. But he also mixes that with a whole series of questions that remain unanswered. And he says, will you now follow me in the context of what you now know and what you don't know? Will you follow me anyway? He doesn't promise to answer every question uh, and he expects that decision to be made in the absence of full understanding. It's a great leap. It's one of the Christian's greatest moments to say yes before we've even read the fine print, before we even know how this is going to turn out. We say, yes, I'm following you. So to them, these guys, it was a, a huge privilege even to be asked and it was a huge sacrifice to say yes. He was walking away from all that he'd known and uh, he didn't know how the story was going to end. Indeed, as we're going to find out, the story doesn't end terribly well for Simon Peter at the end of his life. But he said, I'm going to follow anyway. And so Jesus' invitation for us to follow, he he invites us to go. He says, come, and then you're going to go. And so it's a two-way journey that he invites us into. But a journey it is. It's not just a single decision. It's a, it's a, a lifestyle. It's a learning. It's a journey that we take with him. And uh, this invitation obviously remains for all humanity to to follow him. And uh, it's a promise to go into abundant life. It's not a promise that life's going to go easy. It's not a promise that he's going to answer all our questions. It's a promise of abundant life, despite all those things, that despite the fact that life is not going to be easy, uh, just as it's not easy for anyone in the world. But he says, despite all that, I can give you abundant life right through that. Will you follow me? And... uh, This determination then that he says that if you do follow me, I'm going to make you. He invites us into that formation process. I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you into someone else. You're going to remain who you are, but you're also going to become so much more. And this is the journey that he invites us on. And he says to Simon, I'm going to make you a fishers of men. Their life story, their life skills are going to be redeemed. Their story, their unique story is going to be told to the world. And... This story that he invites us into 
combines our story with his story. And uh, your story is actually the greatest evangelism tool you can ever have. We often wonder, how can I ever be of use to God? How can, how can he take this person? I don't know theology like I, I probably should. I, I, uh, the people at work see me make my mistakes and my slip-ups. I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing now and again. I try to do the best I can. But at the end of the day, it's our story with Jesus that becomes the most effective tool in our arsenal. And you can tell your story because it's your story. You don't need notes for that. You don't need to learn it. You've lived it. And the reality of who Jesus has been, the grace that he gives you to overcome, the weaknesses that he turns into strengths, and just the ability to live and, and love life. Your story is your most powerful tool. And we sometimes will surmise that our story is the thing that disqualifies us from being effective. There's too many mistakes. There's, there's too much that I've done wrong. But Jesus wants to invert that and says, let me into that story. Let me redeem that story through your humility and, and willingness to learn, your willingness to change, your willingness to grow. That's your story. Where he takes the broken parts of our lives and makes them our strengths. That's your story. And that story changes lives. Simon's story didn't go uh, perfectly to plan after he met Jesus that day. He failed and he failed repeatedly. And it's, it's interesting, his weakest point was probably what he used to say. He would make promises that he could never keep. And, uh, and yet, ultimately, that failure was to become his strength once Jesus got involved in that space. Let's have a look at that journey now. And it starts uh, at Mark 14, where once again, he's making a promise with his ego that his character can't cash. And he, and he starts talking about uh, at the Last Supper, this, the fact that, look, even if all these other people around me fall away, I'll never fall away. They say they love you, Jesus. I love you more than all these. And, and the bravado of the man, the, pr the pride of the man was just leaking out everywhere. And I'm sure he was sincere in his intentions, but his actions couldn't follow on. So he says in Mark 14, 29 to 30, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And so this goes out in the room. He puts it out there. Jesus puts it out there. Simon, this is what's going to happen. And then just hours later, we see in Mark 14, 71, the fulfillment of what Jesus said. It says of Peter, he began to call down curses. He, he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about, talking about Jesus. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So this is a bad, uh, bad moment in his story. This is a point he will not want to remember. This is a point he won't want others to remember. But I just love the way it's almost like his uh, friend and competitor in many ways, John, um, who described himself as the one Jesus loved, makes a point of adding this into the story. And, and these guys loved each other, but they had a long way to go. And they, they used to argue with each other about who would be highest in the kingdom and so on. And that leaks out even in this, this uh, discourse here, the fact that John would add it in there. But the beautiful moment about that, I'm just so glad that he did for history because all the disciples now have become aware of this story. They know uh, they've got no pride left themselves. They've all run away. At least Peter hung around. But he made such a public declaration of disowning Jesus. And it was so, it was the elephant now in the room. It was, just, it was hanging out there. You know, Simon, you're supposed to be our leader. Look at what you just did. And, and yet Jesus says, this story, this failure of yours, I'm going to redeem this thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to turn what was weakness and the thing that you're most embarrassed about, the thing you most regret about your life. I'm going to turn this thing around and I'm going to make it to be the strength in your life. 
and the reason why so many others who are just as broken as you, just as frail as you, have a glimpse of life themselves. And that life is going to come from what looks like death. Does he endorse it? No, it's not about endorsing it. It's about redeeming it and turning it all around. And so we get in, in the end of the Gospel of John, in John 21, we have the new scene, which is like a mirror of the first scene. The mirror of the scene where uh, Simon was originally called. They're out fishing. They can't find the fish. They're in the boat. And Jesus on the shore, they don't quite recognize him. He says, hey, guys, throw the net out on the other side of the boat, just as he did when he called them at first. And so you can imagine the tension in the air for Simon. He's still feeling guilty. It's only days after uh, Jesus has been crucified. And he, for him to hear someone say, turn uh, around and put the nets on the other side of the boat, straight away in his mind, there would have been the echo. The last time I was told this was when Jesus called me. I've fallen so far from those days, from the big commitment that I made. You know, I've promised one thing and I've fulfilled another. And, uh, and so it, even that sense in that moment then, it would have just been a reminder of that initial call. And then the fish come into the nets again. And he realizes it's Jesus on the shore. But this time he's not putting a palm up saying, God, turn away from me. He's saying, I am so in need of redemption. I cannot live my life without Jesus. He gets so excited. He jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. And even in his brokenness, even in all the guilt that he feels, he knows he's nothing and he's no one without Jesus. So he's the first one there. Incredible moment of just sincerity and humility. And the conversation begins and they all begin to sit around the fire and the elephant's in the room. What's Jesus going to say about Simon? And, uh, you know, is he going to say, we need to send you to Bible college or we need to teach you elocution lessons or we need to teach you uh, how to do something besides interact with real human beings? You know, it's like, what's he going to do with this guy? He's failed with a capital F. But Jesus reframes the whole thing. And uh, rather than disqualify him, he says, let's re-clarify what the qualification for you being effective in the world actually is. And he simply says, do you love me? And the word he uses there is uh, for love is agape. Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me the way that you promised, Simon? You promised big, you delivered small. That's what's the, the, the subtext here. And Simon's guilty, but he knows now. He says, I, I, I can't fulfill the promises of my mouth. And he says, I love you, but he, the word he uses is love of a brother. I love you in filio is the Greek word. And he's really saying there, I know I promised big and I know you're now reflecting that back on me, Jesus, but this is all I've got. All I've got is all I've got. I, I, I can't promise you that I'm going to do any better now. What I've done is what I've got. Uh, how are we about that? Where do we stand now? And, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. And he asks him the same question three times. Do you love me? And Simon repeatedly says, all I've got is brotherly love. This is all I can produce. I've got good intentions, but I can't follow through. And Jesus says, on the basis of that, of that relationship that is real, now go and feed my sheep. In other words, go and minister, not based on what you bring to the table, not based on what you promised, based on the love that I give you, but because I love you and I will fuel you. And it's the relationship that you have with me. It's the way that I can redeem your life. That's what qualifies you for ministry. That's what is your ministry. It's never been about you. It's never been about what you bring to the table in your own self. It's about what I do to combine my story with your story, which ultimately, if we add it all together, is God's story, you know, about what he's done in our life. Simon, you can do that without a script. Simon, you can do that without Bible college. This is who you are as I've interacted and engaged with your life. Such an incredible story of restoration, of calling renewed, because God's calling on our life is irrevocable, the Apostle Paul says. And so it's not like he changes his mind. 
He calls us knowing the brokenness in our life. And he's calling us fulfilled by what he does through us. And so that's been the great qualifier is do you love me? It's relationship, not performance. And so he goes on there very soon after in the same scene where his old mate and competitor, John, walks with Simon and Jesus. They're walking along the beach and and reflecting then on on where to go from here. And Jesus gives him insight and says, you know, Simon, uh, people are going to lead you one day where you don't want to go. In other words, the end of your life is going to be difficult for you. But I'm telling you, follow me anyway. And Simon says, yeah, I'll follow you. But he falls into the same trap that you and I fall into. It's like, yeah, I'm prepared to do it, Jesus. Even if I don't understand. And you see moments in his life of these big, I don't understand moments. There's John 6 where all a, whole, a few hundred disciples left all at once and there's only the 12 left. And Jesus says to Simon, are you going to leave too? He goes, well, where else am I going to go? I don't get what you're talking about sometimes, Jesus. But where else can I go? What I know, I know. And what I don't know, I'm not going to let that rob me of what I do know. So yes, I'm following. You see the moment where he says, I'm going to go to the cross. And if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross too. Are you still going to follow me, Jesus? Uh, Paul, uh, Simon, he goes, yes, I will follow you. I, I don't like it. Uh, if I'd have known this subtext, maybe I would have contemplated more, but, but I'm in. And in this same moment now on the beach with John following, John listening, and uh, he says, it's not going to end well for you, Simon. Do you still want to follow? He says, yes, I'll follow. But he says, what about John? And do you ever find yourself doing the same thing? What about this guy? What about the guy? It just seems to come easy for them. It's so frustrating for me because I feel like I give so much. I've sacrificed so much. You've just told me it's not going to end well, but I'm in. But it always turns out easy for that guy. What about him? And Jesus has to bring his focus back as he does with all of us because there's always that guy. There's always that story out there where it seems to have gone easy. But Jesus calling on your life is your life and your calling. And he wants you to make your decision based on your love for him, not on how it's going to work out for somebody else. And look at what Jesus says and and how they interact together in this in John 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You see, all that really matters is that we are prepared to say, Jesus, this Jesus that I know, this Jesus who is a miracle working God, this Jesus who so much of him I can't explain, I can't understand. There's so many questions I have of him that he seems unwilling to answer. This Jesus I'm going to follow. And, and that's all he asks of us. That is faith. That is faith in so many ways that, we're, that we are relying on the Jesus that we know, the character that we know. We rely on what he has said and all the bucket load of stuff that we don't understand. We leave that with him and we say, I'm relying on what you've done, who you are and what you say you're going to do in my life. That's faith. And he says, yeah, now I'm going to redeem your story, that mess that you've made of your life or whether you don't feel like it's a mess, just your life. All the hours, all the years, all the experiences, all the relationships, all the personality traits, all the things that make you you, mistakes uh, and good points as well. I want to take that, he says, and I want to redeem that and I want to use it. Simon, I'm going to use your mouth and I'm going to use that same mouth with my anointing to save thousands of people in a few days' time. He wants to redeem that story. 
He wants to bless your past. He wants to take the wounds of your past, the, the things that you've missed out on, the rejection, the trauma, the relationships that didn't work, the hurts, the lessons, and all the experience. And he want, wants to put his hand on them and redeem them for his purpose. Will you let him do that? Will you let him take the good of your life and the hardship of your life and use it for his purpose? All you have to do is give witness. That's what witnesses are. They tell of their own testimony of what they've seen and experienced. Will you be his witness? Will you go out and be his missionary to share your story? I want to pray now. I want to pray that God would bless your story, that he would place his hand on your life, that he'd place his hand on your heart and, and turn that which was a scar into a sacred wound that would heal many other people, that he would take that which the devil has tried to use for evil and turn it for good. So will you allow me to pray for you now, wherever you are in your home? Let's pray. Father, I just pray your redeeming power for all those who would have faith to say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus, despite what's happened in my life and despite what I don't understand. Lord, I pray, put your hand on their life and Lord, give a blessing of redemption in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would take that which has been intended for evil and convert it into good, that it would save and heal so many other people. Lord, take uh, ashes and turn them into beauty and turn and mourning into an oil of joy. Father, where there's been a valley of pain and trouble, turn it into a door of hope. Let your blessing bless our past in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come into communion now, reflecting on Jesus' call to follow, we need to understand that he didn't just expect the big ask out of you. It's, he was placing it on himself that he was fully committed. He wasn't asking us to do the impossible. Uh, only he could do the impossible. He wasn't asking us to necessarily, you know, qualify by being better. He was saying, you can never do that. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to pay the ultimate price for you. And, uh, you know, all he asks of us was, at that point of the game anyway, was faith. Faith, just to rely on him to do what only he can do. To follow him included this incredibly huge element of trust. He would just say, just believe, just rely on me. And all that we need for life will spring out of that. And he offered with that faith, there was, there was um, fruit that would come from our life. There was salvation. There was a, a moment of eternity. And if you're watching today and you've remained undecided about whether you accept uh, Jesus as your saviour in life, this is a moment for you. This is a step for you. This is a thing where we say, I need to come to a point where I either rely on him, I believe and I rely, uh, or I don't. And he will be gracious enough to bring you back time and time again to this place. But until we surrender, until we say, Jesus, yes, I cannot do this life in my own strength. I need to rely on you. There's so much of what he offers us after that moment, the faith, the abundant life, the, the overcoming, the peace that's beyond all understanding. It comes, it's accessed through faith. It's accessed through this moment where we just say, I can't do this. And we open the door for him to do that in our life. And so Jesus laid his own life down for us. His body was broken to pay a price for sin that had to be paid, that we can't pay on our own. We were never going to be good enough to do that. He said, I'm doing this for you. I have never sinned. I've never done anything wrong. I am perfect. I am God. And so only me as God, human, can pay this price for you. His blood was shed on the cross. And this communion that we enjoy now, that we can partake together, is a, a, an ongoing memory of that. It's a celebration of what he's done for us. The, the bread represents his body. The, the juice represents his blood. 
So if you're gathered around now and your elements are ready, let's partake that together. As Jesus said, doing it in remembrance of what he's done. And if you are someone who hasn't placed your faith in Christ now, why not do that right now? Just in your own way, pray. I'm going to have communion together now with all those who are already believers and then I'll pray and I'll pray for you as well. So let's partake. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reality of Jesus, the man, Jesus, who is God, who took our place on the cross, who died. He did with his death what we couldn't do for ourselves. We thank you for this body that was broken, the blood that was shed for the redemption of sins. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for the life that comes with that. And Lord, I pray for all those now who are placing their faith in you for the first time. Lord, I pray you would reveal yourself to them. You would come and save, that your grace come into their life, that they would see the size of the love of God and know that they're going to be with you now for eternity. Bless them as they place their faith in you, in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for joining us. It's been great having you. And if you'd like to receive prayer, we don't have online prayer going anymore, but you can put via our website a prayer request in. And if you'd like to receive uh, prayer from people in person, then come along to any of our services and you can do that. If you want to uh, now apply more deeply what we've been through today, you can go online and the uh, address is on the screen now and you can both download some uh, uh, resources to help some questions and help you dig deeper and also watch a short video on that as well. As we talk about in that section, how to share your story. What is your story? What's Jesus redeemed in your life? It's going to be great, so do that. Bless you and look forward to seeing you again soon.